You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett and Pernay here. And man, we have a lot to talk about here on today's episode. We're going to dive into some women's college basketball as well as March Madness. And then we're going to get into some of this coaching carousel. Pernay, we talked the other day a little bit um, when Jerome Tang came out and made the noise going to, uh, from Baylor to Kansas State. But we'll take a deeper dive into that. But let's talk women's basketball. And I was thinking today about the job Nikki Collin had done this season, an inaugural season. You obviously are in a position where you're following up a legend, one of the greatest to ever do it. And there's obviously some obstacles you had to overcome, but you get the team to the postseason. You welcome, you are able to maintain the roster uh, as far as turnover goes when you start the season. For the most part, you had a couple of transfers. But when you look at this, what is the first thing that comes to your mind uh, when you think about the job of Nikki Collin this season? Well, I'll say there's two things that come to mind. One is the midseason turnaround that Nikki Collin helped this team have because they started out pretty shaky, lost two non-conference games, which was, I think that was the first time since like 2010 that that happened. And then they started out one and two in conference play, and it looked like looked like Nikki Collin might not be the coach that Baylor was going to have to, was going to be riding with for the future. And then, and then it just completely turned around. They only lost, they only lost one more conference game the rest of the season. And even that was on a last second shot to Oklahoma. Um, And then in, in the first truly big game of Nikki Collins coaching career, the bears came out and absolutely dominated Iowa state to clinch the big 12 regular season championship. So that showed that she can coach in big games and that she can get the ready the team ready for big moments. But then, unfortunately, the next two big games, the, the Big 12 tournament final and the second round game against South Dakota in March Madness, the team didn't come out looking good. Especially in March Madness, they came out flat. The offense was shaky, and it's there's, there's some questions as to well, she's going to have to prove that she can coach in tournaments down the road. Yeah, for me, I think that was the biggest thing, right? You, you're hosting the tournament on your court. The expectations are this is a team who should easily make it out of the field of 32 and make it into the Sweet 16. Uh, you take care of Hawaii, and then you draw this the South Dakota State team who, you know, they, they were playing really well, but they completely took Baylor out of their game. Um, you know, Nelissa Smith was essentially non-existent in that ball game, which is really yeah. uncharacteristic after all the accolades she had, you know, all year long. But it was almost as if the team was just deflated after the the barrage of points and just the the being the competitiveness of that first half. It was almost like their leaders checked out and were saying, you know what? I, I'm already on to my next step. And that that was a bad look for me. Um, when you go back and you check out that post-game press conference, extremely awkward. Um, you know, the the, the, the SIDs having to run over and bring tissues. You can't really answer questions. A lot of crying. 
Uh, it was kind of a, a weird scenario that unfolded, but I don't think that necessarily is indicative of the season as a whole. I, I, I think it's one of those things where you kind of got to put this behind you and go forward, but was there, was there any concern for you and how it ended like that? Yeah, there was, there was some concern for me because that, that's two games now in the postseason where Baylor came out. Te- the Texas game wasn't nearly as bad. Texas is a much better team, and Baylor didn't play bad. Texas just played better. This game, you're supposed to win this game. You're significantly more talented. And basically it came down to Baylor couldn't hit three, so they started doubling Melissa Smith, and, and then she couldn't really get anything going. I think that does come down to coaching. So Nikki Collin is going to have to improve as an in-game coach, it looks like. Um, but I do think that she will improve. And it seems like she's the type of coach who can get a team to play together and to play for a purpose. It just didn't happen in, in the NCAA tournament. No, that, that's very true. And I think, you know, for me, one of the, the biggest things when all of the season was getting underway, really the transition in general was how many players is she going to be able to keep on this roster? Um, you know, you're able to hold on to Moon Arson, Queen Egbo, Nalissa Smith, and you got Caitlin Bickle to buy in as well as Sarah Andrews. Unfortunately, immediately Hannah Gusters hits the portal. She heads to LSU, Trinity Oliver heads to Washington. But I think even bringing back that many or that nucleus mm. was really important for laying the foundation because it showed that she had the respect of leaders on the team. And I think that really it took a while for the transition to and the message and to be received and everything for them to start playing with Nikki's identity compared to what they had been used to. But overall, I think that was really crucial for her to be able to do that. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. It was definitely it, it was definitely very important uh, keeping Melissa Smith and Queen Egbo especially. Moon Erson did head to LSU, um, but we kept those players. We kept Jaden Owens. Um, and that's something that's going to, that's going to be important maybe for recruiting because that'll show that these players believed in her even before she had coached a game at Baylor. Um, and maybe that shows that she's the type of personality that can get recruits to come to Baylor, just like Kim Mulkey was. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens down the line with recruiting because it's going to be very important to have, to keep getting those four or five star recruits as well as to use the transfer portal and bring in some grad transfers. Cause this year they were playing with eight players after Hannah Guster's transferred. So that was, it was very difficult. That might also have played into um, why the team struggled down the line. Oh, no doubt. And that's what makes me wonder when you look at this season, is this off season going to be more important than last year? Because you've already got, you know, Queen Egbo comes out yesterday and announces that she's entering the WNBA draft. We all know Melissa's gone. I'm not sure about the rest of the roster, what she's going to be able to retain. But for me, how do you approach recruiting? Because now to, there's a lot more parity in women's college uh, basketball. You're seeing more and more great head coaches come up and get their really their own little recruiting trail and their paths and their niches that, that they know they're going to do. And now Nikki's in a position where you're recruiting up against Kim Mulkey. You're recruiting up against all these other coaches. So I feel like this offseason is more important than last year's. And you make up a good point with the transfer portal. Would you compare what she's looking at doing with the recruiting traditionally as, as going after these high school kids and these all-star uh, McDonald's All-Americans and everything? Would you like to see a balance in those recruits compared to the transfer portal? Or do you think that you need to bring in a handful of both? Uh, 
I'd like to see most players come from high school getting just normal recruits, um, but also bring in maybe two or three grad transfers or upperclassmen transfers to to help mentor the younger players. Because as we get these older players leaving, like Melissa Smith and Queen Egbo, there aren't as many mentors for the potential recruits that will come in. And I think that's very important. And also to stay competitive, it's it's much easier to stay competitive with upperclassmen than it is with freshmen. That's true. And, you know, looking at this right now, so they were 28-7 and this season, 15-3 in conference play, which are swept by Oklahoma. Uh, and you look at last year, what they were able to do, they were 28-3, and 17-1, lost that grueling heartbreaker to UConn uh, in the Elite Eight. Overall, do you think this was a success? And to go along with that, you got to, whether we like it or it's fair or not, everything that this regime under Coach Collin does is going to be joined at the hip with what Kim Mulkey does at LSU. That's very true. It definitely will be. And, and LSU also went out second round of the NCAA tournament. So when you look at it like that, you have to consider it a success because the team won the Big 12 again. And under a new head coach, it could be a lot worse. You could have easily gone, I don't know, 500 in conference and not done as well. But when you win your 12th straight Big 12 championship and then get to the Big 12 tournament final and earn a two-seed in the NCAA tournament, that's still that's still a successful season, especially for a first-year head coach with a shorthanded roster. Very true, very true, man. And from one section of coaching changes to another – We've already talked about it. Jerome Tang's out the door. He's headed to K-State. There's been a bunch of other moves across the landscape of college basketball on the men's side. We're going to dive into that next here in segment two. You're listening to the Bears Illustrated podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome 
back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. I'm Garrett. He's Pernay. And we touched on it right there. There's been a lot of moves in the offseason. And really since it, during March Madness across the landscape of college basketball. And most notably is obviously your big programs like LSU, Will Wade, the scandal. They have to make a replacement. South Carolina makes a replacement. There have been multiple moves across the landscape of college basketball per day. And when you look at some of these, is there any that stand out to you glaring right now? First of all, I, I'll ha- I have to say that the Seton Hall move, bringing in Shaheen Holloway, I'm going to have to give that an A++. That was a fantastic move. This dude who played at Seton Hall, took him to the Sweet 16 before getting a season-ending and career-ending injury. And then he takes St. Peter's to the Elite Eight, the first ever 15 seed, to make the Elite Eight. Peacocks can't fly, but they were flying to the moon until they ran into that wall that was Armando Baycott. Um, I think that Shaheen Holloway is an incredible hire. Honestly, it's a blessing in disguise that their head coach was taken by Maryland because I think Holloway is going to turn that program into a beast in the Big East. He is, man. You know, that's always great opportunity for a coach to go back and coach his alma mater. The only problem is that's going to put a ton of pressure on him, you know, coming in. Obviously, a lot of those kids in that area, it's going to make recruiting a hell of a lot easier for him now. So you can be able to bring those guys into Seton Hall. And and I was thinking also, and it's funny that we were talking about, you know, obviously they lose to North Carolina, but Hubert Davis, that's a first-year head coach, you know, and he's the first uh, head coach at North Carolina to take the Tar Heels this far since 1998, which is really impressive. And that kind of made me think, When you look at the Duke situation, and it's funny how they're going to meet up once again. Everything's on the line for Coach K, but his predecessor, uh, John Shire, is sitting there. And this is going to be interesting next year because Shire is going to be the youngest head coach at any Power 5 school at the age of 34. Do you think that you're going to see a similar situation with him following up Coach K that we saw with Duke and Roy Williams? I mean, with uh, North Carolina and Roy Williams? Yeah, I have to say yes, just because I. The, who are we to say that Duke and Coach K are wrong in picking his his successor? I feel like we don't know much about Shire because he's young. He's, what, 34 years old? Mm-hmm. Only graduated college in, like, 2010. But it seems like Coach K likes him. He's been an assistant at Duke since, I think, 2012. So he has experience under Coach K, learned under the best, and – I think I think it's a good hire just because they think it's a good hire. I do too. And kind of going back there with Holloway, you know, we see this all the time. Well, really more so as of late from a player perspective uh, with the transfer portal that people will come into March Madness and they'll go absolutely off, you know, and, and you'll start getting all the attention because you have the exposure. You're on national TV, which that can open up doors, you know, for transfer portal. But it also happens a lot with the coaching landscape. And one coach that I think is it's an interesting look is uh, what you're doing at Florida, right? You're bringing in Todd Golden. This is a guy who was 57 and 36 at San Francisco, took him to their first March Madness appearance this season since 98. And he was also a guy who's familiar with the big stage. He coached under Bruce Pearl at Auburn uh, from 2014 to 2016. You think this is a good hire for the Gators? I think it's a good hire. I, I won't give it that, that superstar hire that the other two I think are. But I think it is a good hire just because he he had some success at San Francisco, took him to the tournament. They were a really good team this entire year. And his predecessor at San Francisco, 
he went to Washington State and turned that program around in a few years. And um, what's his name? Tom Golden had even more success at San Francisco, took him back to the NCAA tournament. So I, I think we have reason to believe that he'll do pretty well at Florida. Yeah, no doubt. Another big, well, this is in the SEC, another one we're sticking with, LSU, Will Wade. This whole scandal, this whole Adidas sham, it's so insane. Uh, but the, 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 the way that Will Wade was exposed on the phone, you know, it just blatantly talking open about this money, you know, it's ridiculous. And what that does is that gets him out. That has LSU facing seven violations from the NCAA. And we don't know what's going to come down, when that's going to come down. But you have a guy that comes in from uh, in Murray State and Matt McMahon. He did a really good job with the racers before, you know, St. Peter's knocked them off. They were the, the hottest team and one of the hottest teams in the nation. They were riding, the I believe it was the nation's longest winning streak at that time. If you can overcome the obstacles, you can overcome the mess that Will Wade has left for you. What do you think the chances are that this hire for uh, Matt McMahon will be successful at LSU? I think that there's a good chance that this hire will be successful. I think one of the, the key things about McMahon is that he's he seems to be good at developing players who aren't highly touted recruits. John Morant was at Murray State as I think an unrated recruit and now and then he became a number two overall pick he's a superstar in the NBA and because of this this upcoming postseason ban that LSU is probably going to have because of these this crazy scandal they're they might be out of the postseason for like two years they're they're not going to be getting as many recruits as many good recruits as they would otherwise and having a coach that has shown that he can develop players that aren't highly touted coming out of high school is pretty important Let's stick with this Adidas scandal. Because I, I I can't get enough of this Adidas scandal. So, Arizona. <laughs> Arizona, yeah. I, I, look, I like Adidas. I can rock with Adidas, but man, this is a hot mess. Arizona, they're one of the, the faces of this whole debacle. And you get rid of Sean Miller. Um, you come out, you have another tremendous season this year. And I'm thinking there's no way anybody's going to touch this guy. Like, like He's got to be done, right? Well, in coaching world, there's always a second chance. You know, you you just got to yeah. wait for it. Xavier is going to be that second chance for Sean Miller. Uh, they have parted ways with Travis Still after four seasons. He wasn't able to get him into the dance this season. And this is a, home, a homecoming for Sean Miller. You know, he was there in the early 2000s. Uh, he had them at like four or five March Madness trips. What do you think about this move? And obviously, he's going to have to serve a suspension. Do you like the move of Xavier going out and saying, you know what? We know this guy can win on the court. We can deal with everything aside. We know he's proven it. We're going to bring him back. Yeah, I do like the move because at some point, you got to be like, we can deal with everything else, all all the crazy stuff that he comes with. But we just want to win on the court. Because this year, Xavier's team was really talented. And they didn't make the NCAA tournament. This might be one of... This is probably one of the most talented teams ever to not make the NCAA tournament. And at that point, that just comes down to to on-the-court coaching. And when you have a guy like Sean Miller, when you're getting these recruits and have this talent, regardless of whether he's going to coach half the season or the full season, having a guy like Sean Miller is going to be really beneficial. It really is. You know, and I, I'm... 
I think you know what you're getting. I, I feel like when you look at the landscape of college basketball, we know what it is. There, it's like you got unwritten rules in baseball, right? You know what's happening. You know that people were paying for these recruits. And I think this is one of the areas where the NIL being approved and legalized will definitely benefit. And it's going to, it should uh, counterbalance some of this negative behind the scenes things that you're seeing. Obviously, there's that stuff's always going to be there. But I think that's going to help. And look, you got guys like Rick Pitino who have done a hell of a lot worse that are still out there coaching. And I think he just left Iona and is, is looking at moving somewhere else. But it's interesting. And I think you're right. You've got to eventually move on, uh, be able to have the right people in place to to balance these, these kind of, I, I don't necessarily want to say scandalous issues, but... I guess the dirty it's side of things. When, when every school is doing it and you just happen to get caught. No, that's what, look, you got to be so irate if you're Oklahoma state and you're sitting there looking at oh. Kansas playing in the final four, <laughs> you got to be like, what the hell is happening here? You know, it, it makes no sense, but yeah, I, yeah, it's just one of those things, dude, that I think it, you know, it's out there, but if you're Sean Miller, you're going to be very cautious, right? Like you're not going to go out and do anything remotely similar to what happened to Arizona because you already know you're under a microscope. And I think that when you take that into consideration, and that's the same thing you could even use with some other sports and some other coaches. Uh, but at the same time, it's just kind of touch and feel, and it's really what's best for that situation. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then you mentioned Rick Pitino earlier. So if you want to talk about his old school, Louisville hiring Kenny Payne, what are your thoughts on that? I love it. I love it. The first African-American hire for that program. Uh, I think that he's a guy that can come in and nail the recruits. Um, I, I like what he's been able to do. You got a proven track record. You have a great program. You have great facilities. The KFC Yum Center is phenomenal. Um, and, and Louisville's a fun city. And, and you can get people to want to come and play there. Obviously, playing basketball in Kentucky is like playing football in Texas. It's a big, big deal. Um, so I really love that hire. What, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's a good hire. He he has a lot of experience under Coach Cal Perry at Kentucky, I think for like 10 years. He has some assistant coach experience in the NBA. Um, so I think he'll be a good coach. I just am pretty surprised that they weren't able to go out and get a bigger name Considering Louisville is such a big brand and such a big basketball program, maybe Kenny Payne was their top choice. Maybe they wanted him because he's an alum of that school. Um, but I, I, I was a little surprised that they couldn't get a bigger name. Sometimes, sometimes I think that the name we, we kind of we I don't know because if you can, it's great to have splash hires and it's great to have names. But if you have a guy that you're trying to build your program around, he's been a part of that. He's already, um, you know, in, entangled and infringed with all of the boosters, the alumni. He knows the standard there. I think that should that can make for an easy transition. Yeah, that definitely can. Um, and I think that it will be an easy transition for Louisville and Kenny Payne. Didn't he? He won a national championship there as a player, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. I believe so. I, he has. Yeah. He has that championship DNA. He he loves the school, obviously. So that's a, that's a good point. It would have been funny if they went out and hired Rick Pitino back, like Xavier did with Sean Miller. But we we don't think that was going to happen. <laughs> let's let's hope that doesn't happen. We'll see though. But you never know. 
Let's dive into the Elite Eight. Let's look back at that. We got our final four set. We're gonna take a closer look. And the Bears, well, they played three of these final four teams. We're gonna dive into that next here on the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Back into the Bears Illustrated podcast, Garrett and Pernay here with you. And like we promised, we're going to dive into this March Madness, man. And there was a lot of great basketball played over this weekend, Pernay. A lot of great matchups. Uh, you had some blue bloods going at it. Uh, you had some peeps, some teams like Iowa State and, and Miami, uh, who, you know, I, I don't think anybody really had those two teams there. Were there any games who really caught you by surprise, or were there any key matchups that really stood out to you over the weekend? I'd say over the weekend, one of the, I think my favorite game to watch was that Duke Texas Tech Sweet 16 game. That was surprising because we saw kind of an offensive matchup when I thought it was going to be more of a defensive matchup, considering Texas Tech is the best defensive team in the country. But both teams came out playing fast. They were scoring a lot. And, and in, in fact, Texas Tech was able to keep up with Duke, but Duke just has a little more athleticism a little more height and a little more talent. So they were, able, they were able to come out on top, but that was, that was a fantastic matchup. Um, what about you? Do you have any, any games that you enjoyed watching particularly? I liked watching North Carolina and UCLA. Uh, I, I thought that there was a, that's obviously two blue blood programs. There was a lot of talent on their that floor. I also really enjoyed uh, watching St. Peter's at Purdue. Uh, that was a matchup. Oh, yeah. I, I love Jaden Ivey. I, he was, probably my favorite player to watch individual player to watch uh, throughout March Madness. But I thought that Purdue's balance on the inside was going to be something that St. Peter's just couldn't handle. Uh, and with, with Edie, they really struggled, you know, containing any time that he got the ball inside, it was an easy bucket, but they're, their substitutions, the mass substitutions, I think really wore Purdue down. Uh, a great technique by Coach Holloway of doing that. And they essentially took him, Edie out of the game uh, late in the second half, it was, it was really impressive. So I thought that was a really cool game. And I felt like a lot of the energy that they'd exerted in that matchup kind of hindered to North Carolina just really dominating them from the jump uh, this weekend. Yeah, for sure. In the in the Purdue game, that was it was pretty cool to see Coach Holloway make like hockey lineup changes, just bringing in that whole new unit. Um, and the fact that Purdue can't play Zach Eady and Travion Williams at the same time really helps St. Peter's because they just can't guard the big man. They couldn't guard they couldn't guard Oscar Shibway in the first round. They couldn't guard Edy in the Sweet Sixteen, and they absolutely could not guard Baycott in the Elite Eight. That was just a brutal matchup for for St. Peter's because Baycott, I think he's the best big man in the tournament. 20 and 20, and then all those guards who have height and length, it was just too much. No, it was. Baycott's been – he's been phenomenal all year long, and he well, he scored 16 and 20 points in the paint. He had 22 boards, and that was he was the first player with 20 and 20 in the Elite Eight since Hakeem Olajuwon in 83. All right, and then he <laughs> tied Tim Duncan – for the most as well in the ACC. He has been unreal, and I'm interested to see what he's able to do this go-around against Duke in the Final Four. Uh, obviously, 
Duke knows how they've split, right? And, you know, I think Duke knows how to contain him. They've probably been able done the best job of anybody this season. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. One other game that was kind of, I feel like it got lost in a sense, and, and that could just be me, uh, was Houston to Villanova. I, I think that when you look at this, it's two elite head coaches and Kelvin Sampson and Jay Wright. It's two programs who know how to win in March. And for you, for me, I was expecting Houston to come out and kind of do what they've done all season long and take care of Villanova. And when I look at the Wildcats, it, maybe it's just watching the way Baylor dismantled them live, but I, I struggle to see how they're at this point and competing the way they do, even though I know their culture is strong. Are, do you see that as well? So to me, that actually speaks more about how strong Baylor was when fully healthy than about Villanova. Villanova is honestly, they probably are one of the top teams in the country. They're, they're like a better version of Providence, just very fundamentally sound, historically great at free throw shooting. They do everything right at the margins. And I think it just speaks to the fact that if Baylor had been fully healthy the entire season, I think we would have seen them in this at this point. They would be in the Final Four and probably would be the favorites to win it all. So it's a bummer that Baylor couldn't be here, but but I think Villanova is a good team. However, that, that Justin Moore injury really hurts them. And we saw Kansas take down Providence, and Villanova is like a better version of that team. But without Justin Moore, I don't I don't see Villanova winning that game. What about you? Yeah, that's really brutal. You know, and we've seen it in Baylor this year, the, all of the injuries and what that can do to a team. And when you're on the cusp of making it to the final four and you do that and you blow out your Achilles, that is devastating. And you could see it in the team afterwards. They're all going over. Um, and I think they're going to be on a mission, right? Like you're automatically, you put this on him, right? Like he's on your back. He's your, your motivation for everything you need. But at the same time, dude, this Kansas team, when you, and here's the deal. Kansas can't come out flat like they did in the first half against Miami against Villanova because They'll, they'll find themselves down 15 to 20 points, and there's no way they're going to work their way back. So that, that's going to be an intriguing, intriguing matchup. I think Kansas, man, though, they're playing at such a high level when you got a Baji. If you get McCormick rolling and Braun like they did in the second half, um, I, I just I feel like Kansas right now has too much on their side in this matchup. I think so, too. They're the more talented team. They're just as well-coached as Villanova. And this whole season, that's been their story. It seems like they're about to go away. It seems like they're about to fall off. But just when it comes to that point, they turn it up and they they win the games they have to. They beat TCU and I think Texas down the stretch to make sure they claim to share the Big 12 regular season title. When they were down to TCU late in that second game, and then they came out and won the Big 12 tournament. Um, and they've been winning they've been winning all these games in the NCAA tournament without, without too much. They really haven't looked like they were going to lose. Even the Creighton game, when it came down to it, they played their hearts out at the end and won. I will say this. If Villanova wins this tournament, wins these next two games and gets their third championship in six years with coach K leaving the game, we kind of have to say Jay Wright is the best coach in college basketball, right? Ooh, <laughs> I haven't thought about that. You know, I mean, you make a valid point. I, I, I think that Bill Self's still there. 
but man, yeah, I, you could be onto something. That's a very valid point. And I think that's going to put, when you consider that and knowing that Bill Self and Jay Wright are going to match up, that could extra, you know, add a little extra, you know, motivation to the party. Speaking of, so when you're looking at this Duke, North Carolina matchup, do you think there's more pressure on Carolina this time around? Given the circumstances of you went into Camden, you ruined Coach K's uh, night. You put there was so much pressure on that Duke team that night, though. That was, I think, kind of skewed. But do you think that the the Blue Devils or the Tar Heels got more pressure on them this go round? I think the Blue Devils definitely have more pressure on them. North Carolina came into this tournament as an eight seed, making it to the Final Four was an accomplishment in and of itself. And Hubert Davis is in his first season getting the final four as a first year head coach is something really great. But coach K is on the other side of it. He's on his way out. And these players, they're going to want to help help their coach end on a championship. If they can get coach K to ride out on top, that would be an incredible end to his career. And you know that they don't want to think about it, but it's going to be at the back of their minds. Oh, absolutely. I think that's kind of like the elephant in the room that nobody really wants to talk about. And it's just not going anywhere, right? Like, it's going to be so intriguing. I love the fact that you're going to have Duke and North Carolina squared off with with all of the, the storylines and everything. That's going to be so fun. But let's talk about this. The final four set, okay? We got Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova. There's an odd theme there with three of those teams. Baylor has faced... Three of those teams this season. They beat Villanova earlier in the season, 57-36. They split with Kansas. They had that that bad loss, 83-59 up in Lawrence. Were able to take care of the Jaycocks here in Waco, 80-70. And then obviously the loss to North Carolina, 93-86. What does that say about this Baylor team? It just says that when healthy, Baylor truly was the best team in the country. And it's just a testament to Scott Drew's coaching to have four starters leave the team and you come back as the best team in the country. They were 15-0, number one in the nation. And then you have all these, the string of injuries. But Bill was right there, even with the injuries. They lost to this UNC team in overtime after coming back from a 25-point deficit. They smacked Villanova harder than Will Smith smacks Chris Rock at the Oscars. <laughs> And they, and they split with this Kansas team. So it's just a testament to Scott Drew's coaching. I love it. I love it, man. What are you working on right now, man? I'll, I'll have an article out soon on the top five Baylor seasons of the Scott Drew, Jerome Tang era, since we've got Jerome Tang leaving. And he was the last piece of that original coaching staff. And then I'll have the other, the recruit articles out soon that I was talking about before. About awesome. you. Awesome. I got, so right now I have the, I'm doing a series of Q and A's with the Baylor commits uh, on football. Uh, Right now you can go to bearsillustrated.com and I have one posted with Temple linebacker Torian York. Uh, Pernay, you're well, you're very familiar with Torian. Uh, You've done some interviews with him. Uh, Yeah. Solid. We We have a video interview on YouTube with Torian York. I have an article out with him. Yeah, he's a, he's a solid, solid pickup for them. Uh, a proven leader. I'm interested to see uh, what he can bring to the table for the Bears. Also coming up on Wednesday is going to be Pro Day. I will be out there 
um, uh, getting videos and everything. So you can catch that on Twitter, uh, on my Twitter at underscore Garrett Ross. And we'll have some stuff put together coming up on the website as well. Pernay, tell them where they can find you at on social media, man. On social, on Twitter, I'm at Procurry. And on Instagram, I'm also at Procurry. I'd say Twitter is my biggest sports presence. So if you, if you follow me there, you'll see me tweeting about college basketball, college football, um, NFL and recently the Oscars. What about you, Garrett? Uh, yeah, you can find me at underscore Garrett Ross on Twitter. Uh, also Garrett S Ross on Instagram, but most of my stuff is done on Twitter, but that's where you could find us. And once again, you can go to bearsillustrated.com. We have everything there for you from recruiting recaps, insight, player analysis, everything you want is right there at your fingertips. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the bears illustrated podcast. We appreciate your time, appreciate your memberships, your subscriptions, your loyalty, uh, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Thank you. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.